But then a meaningful business is one that doesn't just serve to generate profit. It also seeks to make a meaningful contribution to the community that it's in or solve an important challenge. And I think that can be measured in dozens of different ways. Hello, and welcome to the Meaningful Business Podcast. I'm Peter Stjanovich, Deputy Editor at Hot Topics and your host. Together, we're finding out how businesses and their leaders champion purpose, people and planet alongside profit. And in the process, how to define and lead a meaningful business. Today's guest, who you've just heard, is Paul Van Ziel, co-founder of The Conduit Club, one of London's newest members clubs, but with a difference. All its members have to prove they're committed to finding solutions to some of the most pressing social and environmental issues today. It's an exclusive community of entrepreneurs, investors and influencers with a conscience. As a club's co-founder, Paul has a mission, therefore, to generate purpose out of a community of well-meaning individuals, and his past efforts apparently make him well-placed to comment on the trend of meaningful business. That's because besides The Conduit, Paul is also the co-founder and CEO of Mayet, a global fashion brand focused on traditional design, partnering with local creators and designers to ensure ethical standards. He's also the co-founder of the International Centre for Transitional Justice, a human rights organisation based in New York City. Furthermore, Paul was announced by London Tech Week as one of its 30 Changemakers 2018, celebrating people harnessing technology to inspire social and economic impact and drive global innovation. And there's more. It's certainly not your average CV, which makes Paul the ideal candidate to drill down into what a meaningful business looks like, as well as why this trend is generating such momentum with millennials and entrepreneurs alike. Paul, thank you. Thank you very much for joining me on uh, the Hot Topics' Meaningful Business podcast. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Excellent, thank you. Where am I finding you? Are you in London at the club itself? I am in London at the club. (laughs) Excellent, excellent. So, Paul, why don't you start us off with the elevator pitch for the Conduit Club, and then we can go into more detail about exactly what it is uh, you guys do. So the Conduit is a community of people who are passionate about positive social change. Uh, We have about 2,100 members. Uh, We've been open for five months. Um, We present about 200 talks a year on a range of topics from sustainability and climate change to economic empowerment and job creation to women's empowerment to skills learning and education to health, wellness and nutrition to justice and equality. And we try and get exceptional people with the talent and resources to effectuate real change to look at solutions rather than problems. Amazing. I mean, that covers a wide range of topics, really. Um, First of all, how do you try and capture that spirit of social consciousness within a physical space? Physical spaces are only made meaningful if they are inhabited by human beings. Um, And so you start by curating very deliberately a membership that has a group of people who are social entrepreneurs, a group of people who are not-for-profits, 
um, people who are investors and people in finance, um, people who are um, in policy, people who are entrepreneurs. Um, and so by blending together a diverse community of people with a range of resources and skills and talents, um, that then animates uh, the community. And then we stimulate that by giving people um, presenting 200 talks a year. And that then helps people both acquire knowledge and focus their mind and give them pathways to action. Um, and then we have a, a fund um, called Conduit Connect, which enables people to invest in the best ideas from amongst the members of the group. And I would say, finally, we spend a lot of time in sort of the culture of the place. Um, we uh, like to think of it as a place that is generous and open and curious. We get people to introduce themselves as often as we possibly can. And it's a community where people don't sort of sit in a room and check each other out. It's a community where people talk and engage and get to know each other and get to learn about each other in a meaningful way. It's a, it's a members club with a, with a conscious, right? Um, how, how do you discover um, potential new members? How do you find the right people to make sure that the Conduit and the Conduit Connect, as you said, are looking at the right um, social justice programmes if, if, if you guys are the right people to judge what that is? I mean, we've been very lucky. People come to us. Um, I think we started off with a very strong network of founders and founding members, and we chose that group very carefully and deliberately, 50-50. Yeah, you've got some amazing ones. You, I mean, just to interrupt you, you've got, I mean, uh, the journalist Christian Amanpour, uh, I think Gillian Coldwell as well, um, London youth leader Jeremiah Emmanuel. So, I mean, that's fantastic. It must be a great baseline in which to move yeah, forward. We've been very, very lucky. I think some of the most exceptional and talented people who have uh, reputations, not just in London, but across the globe uh, have signed up. <clears throat> and then that group sort of feeds itself. They reach out into their networks and invite people to be members. And then we've been very lucky. We've had very, um, you know, a lot of positive press and coverage uh, and, you know, I think the the word is out in London about the conduit. And as a consequence, you know, we are getting, you know, hundreds of people signing up every month and um, and uh, very, very grateful and excited to have them join the community. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like, well, it, it doesn't sound like, it looks like um, the awareness around social justice programs especially within the for-profit industry, is is gaining traction and you guys are tapping into that wholeheartedly. Um, why do you think that is? Why do you think for-profit companies or more entrepreneurs now are looking at for-profit models to um, generate social or environmental or societal change? I mean, I think there's both negative reasons and positive reasons. So I think, you know, in the negative category, you know, there have been a a generation of companies that have been responsible for enormous harm. Um, coal companies, oil companies, tobacco companies, certain kinds of 
nutrition companies, certain kinds of companies in the weapons and arms space. And I think it's becoming increasingly socially uh, and therefore economically difficult for those companies to um, build reputations, attract staff, sell their wares. Um, and so I think there's been a recognition that with the the enormous power and privilege that comes with with business comes also a set of responsibilities. And so I think that negative companies are sometimes for defensive reasons shifting away from old business models. Um, and I think the positive reason is because I think um, as the world faces increasingly existential challenges, whether it's from climate or from population or from joblessness or from inequality or from migration or from the proliferation of um, fake news and the, the kind of corroding power of some forms of um, un, uh, uncontrolled social media, people are beginning to discover that in fact at the heart of business lies an, oppor an opportunity and a possibility to solve some of these problems. So, you know, um, the renewable energy sector is now the fastest growing energy sector in the world. Uh, a move to nutritious and healthy foods is well underway. Uh, a gender revolution is, you know, ripping its way through through business and through through social life. Um, we are discovering incredible advances in gene editing. Just yesterday, an eye operation was conducted in the United Kingdom that if successful, and there's every reason to believe it will be, has the possibility of curing 350,000 people of macular degeneration, one of the most prevalent sources of blindness amongst adults. So if you look at all of those advances, there is really a compelling business case, not for business uh, to cease doing bad things, but in fact for business to proactively being uh, doing good things. And, and that should be a... You know, yeah, that should be a source of enormous encouragement for all of us. Yeah, and I suppose you're positioning yourselves as the conduit for all of that um, good for-profit nature, which I suppose means a good apt name. Okay, so let's say then that I am um, an entrepreneur that has a whole um, list of experiences justifying why I am um, in the social entrepreneurship space and I've got a sort of co-founder we've got an idea and I approached the conduit club for membership or, or the conduit connect to help me with funding what's that process like um, for any listeners out there who are, are thinking of joining you guys um, well to join the conduit um, you need to be nominated and then we review whether you know we think that you'll make a positive contribution to the community, there are existing members who will bring entrepreneurial uh, endeavors or companies to our attention um, that will then be placed before the investment 
selection committee of Conduit Connect, which is our um, fund, um, and that will then review the opportunity and then put that opportunity in front of members who have to be suitably qualified and comply with all the requisite, you know, financial and other regulations that apply. Um, and what's been wonderful about that is that has already led to businesses obtaining investment, but more importantly, not just investment, also skills, support, opportunities, mentors, impact tracking, all the other things that are that are necessary. Yeah. So, so what what examples of, of organisations or ideas have have come across since the conduit's inception? Then, so there's one of my favourites is this remarkable uh, group called Refuade, um, and Refuade is an organisation which makes um, very low interest loans available to refugees who have arrived in the United Kingdom who have obtained the, the um, right to remain. And they are professionals, almost always, but not exclusively. So you're a doctor or a dentist or a lawyer or an engineer from Syria. You've arrived in the United Kingdom. You can't qualify because your degree is not recognized in the UK, but you are tremendously skilled. And so in consequence, you find yourself doing um, low-paying hourly work. Um, but if you were to be able to get £10,000, you would be able to requalify, and your earning capacity would go up tenfold and you would make a meaningful contribution to the community in which you're located. And so RescueAid gives people low-interest loans um, and turns refugees um, into the enormous assets that they have the potential to be destigmatizes people, um, which is incredibly valuable. Amazing. And you, you meant your word there, make a meaningful contribution. That word meaningful comes up often time and time again. Um, you're very well placed, Paul, I think I can say, in terms of identifying what a meaningful business uh, looks like or has the potential to look like. So do you have a definition in your head about what a meaningful business is or what it should involve? You know, meaningful businesses are ones which, um, first and foremost, to be a business, you have to be, um, you know, sustainable and, you know, ideally profitable and you're able to, you know, serve your customers, support your employees and, produce your products. Um, but then a meaningful business is one that doesn't just uh, serve to generate profit. It also seeks to make a meaningful contribution to the community that it's in or solve uh, an important challenge. And I think that can be measured in dozens of different ways. So in all the different thematic areas that the conduit works in, whether it's on climate and sustainability or health and nutrition or skills and learning or uh, job creation or fostering opportunity, um, companies which advance any of those goals and do so in a, with integrity are going to be meaningful companies. And you know, frankly, we just need many, many more of them um, if we are to meet the challenges that we face today. And, and with those 
many, many more organizations, whether they're for profit, whether they're social entrepreneurship models, you know, they're being more meaningful, let's say. What's their relationship with um, between charities and then between governments who themselves have different programs in place to try and solve some of the challenges that these businesses are also trying to do now what's the relationship like is it is it is actually strained or is there a complementary relationship available well in a perfect world the for-profit business sector the not-for-profit philanthropic sector um you know the policy and governance realms and governments in particular work harmoniously together to achieve a set of goals there's not not every problem in the world has a market solution, but you can be sure that the biggest and thorniest problems in the world will require the application of capital almost invariably. And it's very difficult to imagine a, a sustainable solution to anything without a proper system of government and governance in place. Um, and so, you know, everybody has to appreciate and understand their role in an ecosystem um, and ideally it's a mutually supportive and reinforcing one. Okay, interesting. Um, I'm going to try and focus now a bit more on you, Paul. So we've had a look at the Meaningful Business and the Conduct Club, but you've also got a fascinating backstory, again, in social justice programmes, sustainability, um, you know, you were investigating a path idea of human rights abuses in South Africa. Um, so how, how did you get to the position you are in today as, as co-founder of the Conduit Club? I think from a very young age, I was very lucky. I was raised in a household where I was instructed that, um, it was, you know, I, I grew up under apartheid in South Africa and I was always told by my parents that the system that we lived in and as white South Africans benefited from was an unjust and evil one. Um, and so I, you know, they, they taught me to be, to care about justice and ultimately to be an activist. Um, and uh, so I then worked as the executive secretary of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. I founded what became a very large not-for-profit that worked in 30 countries around the world doing justice work. Um, I then founded a, a social enterprise, a, a business with purpose at the core of its mission. Um, and then the conduit has sort of been the latest evolution in what I've been doing, partly because I came to the realization that I didn't want to um, be the founder of only one thing. I think one of the wonderful things about the conduit is that it can be an environment in which hundreds and hundreds, dare I say, thousands of different initiatives can be incubated and supported um, because we have the power of a network and the scaling effects of capital and the benefits of knowledge. Um, and so that's really been a very important sort of realization on my journey that if you want to do things that are systemic, then then build a community. Um, that's a powerful thing to do. Mm. It sounds like throughout your career, there's been a heightened sense of purpose behind everything you do. And obviously within the sector you're working in, purpose is the main driver for um, all these organizations. H how important is it that um, a founder or a CEO of a leader of these organizations instills purpose 
um, into their own lives as well as their company. Everybody should find their own purpose, um, and hopefully, it's a it's a it's a higher, more communal, more societal purpose than one that is just you know a narrow, self-serving purpose. Um, and then I think if leaders embody purpose and lead organizations with a sense of purpose, um, it permeates through the entire institution. Um, you obviously have to lead by example. Um, and then, and then you have all those magical networking and scaling effects I just described. Um, and I think the good thing about them, the moment that we are in the world is that there are, there's not just one way to lead a purposeful life. There are dozens and dozens of entrepreneurial and creative and innovative ways in order to both uh, build a successful business and positively impact the world. And I think it's a, you know, it's one of the most challenging times to be alive, but I think it's an even more exciting time to be alive. <laughs> yes, not Mr. Spin on things. Um, you said there's Oliver, there's lots of ways in which one can be inject person um, inject purpose sorry into their lives. I mean, I'm the men listens here today, myself included. Sometimes, you know, we're working in traditional sectors, um, not necessarily nine to five jobs, but certainly jobs which mm-hmm. aren't delivering um, exact purpose day in day out, like the organisations you're working with. So, what would your advice be to people who are in sectors which aren't traditionally meaningful in in the way we've been describing but would like to be more meaningful um in in their life well i mean i think almost every sector is capable of being meaningful right so and i don't mean i I, by that i don't mean to have a sort of um panglossian view of the world you don't take into account the challenges that you know people live under and the way in which power and privilege and wealth and opportunity are very unevenly distributed in the world in which we live. Um, But I think that um, wherever you are in, if you're working in a, you know, a giant corporation, there are ways in which you can be an entrepreneur and innovate around that company's purpose. If you're an investor, you can, allocate money away from pure profit imperatives and seek to look at for double or tri- triple bottom lines in the way corporations perform. If you're producing something, you can study its impact and its carbon footprint. If you're in a services com- company, you can say, um, what am I what service am I providing? What am I measuring? What am I seeking to optimize? And am I thinking about societal outputs, not just efficiency outputs for their own sake? Um, and so in some ways, you know, the good news is um, we're limited only by our imagination. That's not to say that we, we, sh- we, we, we shouldn't be seeking to create a world that is more just, more fair, that distributes opportunities in a in a better way. And, you know, I'm not sort of articulating a view that everybody can pull themselves up by their bootstraps. 
um, you know, we also have to think about structural injustice and and work towards a, a more structurally fair society. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I interrupt there, but you mentioned earlier about you know we're all defined or limited by our imagination. Um, what? How are you imagining the Conduct Club to evolve over the next three to five years? Then, well, I think that one of the ways in which it's likely to evolve is. You know, it's going to add a couple thousand members every year. And when it does that, um, our ability to tackle big problems at scale becomes enhanced. So I'm enormously excited by looking uh, at and supporting a project, you know, which has been birthed from amongst our members on efforts to clean the air in London and looking at all the different strategies, public and private, to do so. Yes, it needs it. Exactly. (laughs) There's an effort to look at how you establish marine reserves across the world. Um, Again, one of our more interesting and prominent members is working on, and one of the most remarkable things about um, stopping fishing in large portions of the ocean is that the oceans, which have been so depleted, have an ability to almost miraculously um, replenish themselves. There are bounce back. There are incredible efforts underway to eliminate repurpose plastic and, in fact, to replace plastic entirely. Um, and the, I'm just listing three. Um, and so each one of those things, you know, at some point was conceived of as perhaps impossible and now is increasingly not just possible but attainable in uh, a relatively short period of time Uh, and that's just that's very encouraging amazing Um, and paul just to close the episode uh we've spoken a lot about meaningful business and all of those organizations doing so much good stuff out there um, but if there was one person who I should speak to next on this subtopic, who should it be and why? I think you should speak to Paul Polman, the um, alumni CEO uh, of Unilever, who I think has done as much as anybody in the world to demonstrate that purposeful businesses are better in the long run more profitable in the long run, produce better brand loyalty, produce better customer acceptance, produce more uh, a, a more loyal and engaged workforce, and has done so in the face of long odds and hostility and takeover attempts, um, but has done so with a sense of purpose and, and integrity in a way that I think is there's much to admire. Okay, from Paul to Paul, I got it. Um, listen Paul thank you so much <laughs> thank you so much for joining us today um, it's been fascinating getting to know, know more about uh, London's new club that actually has um, more of a higher purpose than, than most um, honestly looking forward to hearing more about some of the organisations that come out thank you so much for having me In the next episode, I'll be speaking with Dr. Paul Peter Tack, GlaxoSmithKline's former Chief Immunology Officer and now Venture Partner for Flagship Pioneering. The firm utilises an innovation process that to date has created and directed more than 100 scientific ventures, 
so far resulting in over $30 billion worth of so-called aggregate value. Although Dr. Tack maintains the true aim is to foster first in-category life science companies that transform human health and sustainability. Find out how that's possible in the next episode of Meaningful Business. I'm looking forward to joining me.